As we get started today, I want to go ahead and commend you right from the beginning. It seems like a good way to start. It's encouraging, right? Um, I want to commend you because in our culture that we live in today, uh, patience is not, it's not, it's not necessarily the virtue that we all think it is. Like, we're not a very patient people. We want things now. We want to microwave everything. We, we, we want it when we want it, right? And I just want to commend you on your patience because it's not easy to be patient. It's not easy to wait. But man, you guys have done it. You guys have endured all the creation story and everything so we could finally get to the genealogy list in chapter five. And I just can't commend you enough for your patience. You didn't complain. You're like, when are we gonna get there? Like, we never heard that at all. But today we are finally getting to our first genealogy list. So if you got your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter four. We're gonna look at the end of four and, and all of five today. And uh, if you've been around for a while, you know that we usually have someone come up and read the passage, and we had no volunteers this week. And uh, now that's not true. I told Nick we're not going to do anybody reading because I wouldn't make anybody do that. You're not going to hear me read most of this because I don't know how to pronounce these names either. And it, 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 we're going to look at this story. We're going to look at this uh, details of it. Um, but as you're, as you're grabbing your Bibles and getting ready to dive into to chapter four, the end of chapter four and, ver- and chapter five, I, I wanna highlight a different verse for you as we start. I wanna, I wanna highlight, this verse will be on the screen. Uh, it's 2 Timothy 3.16. It's maybe a familiar verse to you. Maybe you've heard this verse before. You maybe even have it memorized. 2 Timothy 3.16. I want you to look at this verse while, while we're getting ready to dive into Genesis. It says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. All scripture. You guys know when Paul wrote those words to Timothy, we didn't even have the New Testament solidified at that point. He was really pointing to the Old Testament, but all scripture, every bit of it is God breathed or breathed out by God. It's inspired by God. This Bible that we hold, every single bit of it is God's word to us. God revealing who he is to us. God teaching us about his character and what he's done so that we can respond to it. And all scripture is breathed out by God. So let's be honest. When we get to these parts of the scripture, and there's genealogy lists all throughout scripture. When we get to them, there's this tendency to, oh, okay, I got a whole list of names, a bunch of people, they lived, they died, they had people. Like, I get it. We kind of, we kind of skim it. And on our good days, we kind of skim it, and on our other days, we just kind of skip over that. Oh, when does that stop? When does that list stop? I'll go pick up the story on the other side. And here's, I want you to lay that mindset, and I do it, we all do it, right? Lay that mindset alongside this 2 Timothy 3.16, that all of it is profitable. All of it is breathed out by God, that it's all God's word, the genealogy list or God's word. Uh, in the New Testament, you have the story of Jesus, you have all that, you have the things that Jesus said, right? That's all God's word. It's all God's word. It's all profitable. And so here's something, I was thinking about it this way this week. I was thinking about 2 Timothy 3.16. It's kind of this, stay with me for a second. It's kind of this biblical picture of Gandalf from the Lord of the Rings. And standing at Genesis chapter 5 and going, you shall not pass. Anybody? Any Lord of the Rings fans? A couple? That's good. Uh, 
I think maybe like if you like to journal in your Bible, maybe you put Gandalf beside the first genealogy list. When you see a genealogy list, put Gandalf beside it. Don't, don't just skip over it. Don't just dismiss it. Remember, all scripture is breathed out by God. Kids, if you, if you like to sometimes draw while you're listening, if it helps you, I know that some, some of you get that, and I'm, I'm really just talking to the kids, but if you like to do that, maybe draw me a picture of Gandalf. I'd love to see it afterwards, draw a picture of Gandalf with 2 Timothy 3.16 either, either written out or maybe just that reference somewhere on his hat or something. And if you don't know who Gandalf is, he's just, just draw a wizard. Yeah, I just said draw a wizard while you're listening in the sermon. It's a, I don't know where we're going with that, but like that's, don't just rush past it. Because here's what the Bible says about the Bible, that it's all breathed out by God. So. We have genealogy lists. We have this one in Genesis chapter five. We have another one in Genesis as well. We have, we have genealogy lists sprinkled throughout the Old Testament. The book of Matthew, the, the gospel, the New Testament begins with a genealogy. It begins with this tracing the lineage to get to Jesus. And so what do we do with them? If all of it's profitable, if it's, all of it can be used in some way for some form of teaching or training or even reproof or correction, then what do we do with it? And so let me give you kind of the widest angle lens that we can for the genealogy list in our Bible. Let me just make some observations about all of the genealogies together. The fact that they're in the Bible and the Bible says that this is not filler. This is not just like, hey, we need to get some extra pages in here to make it a little bit longer. Like if it's really profitable, let me give you some ideas about biblical genealogies. And this is basically under this category, biblical genealogies remind us of some things. And so these biblical genealogies remind us first that God cares about history, that God works in the context of human history. This book and these stories are not separate from that, but they're in the middle of it. God is working in human history to accomplish his purposes, that God cares about history. He grounded his whole story in real events and real circumstances in human history. That's what this book is. That's why our faith is not a blind faith. Our faith is not just putting our head in the sand saying, I'm just gonna believe these things that can't be verified. There's so much of the Bible that has historical relevance and historical credibility. When archeologists study, they find these things in the Bible match up in those time periods, these people that live. There's other sources out there that talk about the people in the Bible. God grounds all of his story in the middle of human history and it brings more credibility to our faith when you embrace that. Biblical genealogies remind us that God interacts with real people. It's real history, it's in the context of real stories, and it's real live people. The people that we read about in these genealogies, even if it's just a blip, like if it's just a, a, just a comment about their life, they're real people that live, that breathe the same air that you and I breathe, that lived and walked on this earth. It's God interacts with and works through and speaks to and leads and guides real live people. And so these genealogies remind us of that. These aren't just some fictional characters over here that's just made up. These are real people that lived, real people that had children and had families and real people that died. These genealogies in the Bible remind us that God uses imperfect people to accomplish his purposes. 
You'll read through these genealogies sometimes and you'll see a name and it'll remind you of a story. And sometimes those stories are not that great, right? Sometimes you remember their failures. Sometimes you remember the, the struggles. Sometimes you remember their weaknesses because these stories come to our minds. And this is a reminder when we see these lists of names that none of these people are perfect. None of these people had it all together. These people failed. These people fell short. These people didn't make the mark. And that's how God works. God gives us these lists of people and, some, and, and the Bible's so great because it doesn't hide their mistakes, it doesn't hide their failures, it doesn't try to make everybody look perfect. It gives us these lists of people so we can see all of it and it reminds us that God uses these imperfect people to accomplish his purposes. We're gonna dive into this in a second, but like as you're reading through this, one of the things that's interesting is that you'll see this rhythm develop in Genesis chapter 5, and everybody lives about 900 years at this time, and there's a lot of reasons for that. There's a lot of, there's a lot of reasons we could talk about for why people lived so long at that time. Mostly it was to help multiply the earth, help, help the population to increase, but everybody's living 900 and something years, and I'm just most of the time, here's what it says about them. It says, this person lived this many years, and he had a son, and the son's name was this and then after he had the son, he lived this many more years and he had a lot more sons and daughters and then he had all these years and then he died. And that's pretty much what it says about them. So I just want you to think about this for a second. Like how much we are striving as people in our culture today, we strive to leave a mark, right? We strive, we strive to make a legacy, to make a name for ourselves. We, we got this whole, you know, fame, idea kind of pulling us all the time. We're always striving to leave some kind of legacy. I want people to remember, I want, I want to accomplish something great. I want to do something amazing. And we got 70, 80 years. I mean, that may seem high, but some of us may have 80. Like we have these, this many years, right, to accomplish that. Just think about this. These people live 900 years and when it's talked about their story, oh yeah, they had a kid. They had some more kids. We don't even know their names and then they died. 900 years, and that's the, that's the mark that they left on history. God uses imperfect people to accomplish his purposes, and sometimes that may seem on the surface insignificant. But man, these genealogies kind of remind us that these imperfect people and these insignificant events are all part of God's story. And anything that looks insignificant that's a part of God's story becomes all of a sudden super significant, even if it just seems like normal. It just seems like they just lived, they had a kid, they had some family, and then they died, they didn't really accomplish much, there's nothing remarkable there. No, it's significant because they're part of God's story, that God is tracing for us this redemption line from Adam to Noah. And he's going to trace it from Noah to Abraham. From Abraham to David, from David to Jesus, God's going to continue to trace that. When Noah shows up at the end of this list and he's a man of faith who walks with God, that's not by accident. It's because some faithful people along the way that don't get much credit here other than they had a son and then they died, passed along faith. God uses imperfect people, insignificant events to accomplish his purposes. And genealogies also remind us that God cares about families. I love this, like that's the general theme here is that this guy lived and he had a son and then he had more children and he lived a lot longer and then he died. Like there's this context of families that all throughout our Bibles, God values 
and raises the value of families. That our Bibles teach us that families is where discipleship really happens. That that's the first and foremost place where discipleship should happen is when moms and dads teach their kids the values of God, the things of God, the word of God, show them the gospel, point them to the gospel. That that's where God says that should happen. So family discipleship is huge in the Bible and family discipleship is big at Crosspoint. We wanna elevate that status. We, we want to make sure that parents understand their role in this, that grandparents understand their role in this, that we all understand that we're trying to build families to glorify God. And so when you see these list of names and you think, oh man, that's pretty insignificant. He had a son and then he lived a lot longer and had more, more sons and he had daughters and then he died and you think, wow, that's, that's all he gets? Well, maybe it's telling us that that's the most important thing. Maybe outside of our relationship with Christ, outside of our relationship with God through his son Jesus, that the most important thing that you will ever accomplish in your life is to lead your family, maybe. And boy, it's easy for us to get distracted on that, right? Run off and think this is more important. This is gonna where I'm gonna leave my legacy. This is gonna be where I make my mark. And, and guys, ministry can do that. Maybe this God cares about families is reminding us over and over again that that's, other than your relationship with God, there's nothing more important in your life than leading your family well, pointing them to Jesus and pointing them to the gospel. So big picture, biblical genealogies give us this. They give us this reminder, it's a wide angle lens. But then what you wanna do when you get to the genealogies is you wanna get down in the specifics. You wanna get down in the weeds a little bit and find out what this specific genealogy list can teach us. And because we know that it's profitable, it's all profitable, we know that it's not trivial. We know because it's profitable that it becomes essential instead of trivial. And so we don't look at the genealogies just so that we can do really good on our Bible trivia apps. And that, that may help you if you really know the genealogies. In fact, this genealogy here, it, 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 it brings us to a place where I can use the best Bible trivia question I've ever heard. Are you ready? I can tell you are. So here's the, it's, it's actually a trivia question in the form of a riddle. Do you like riddles? Me neither. So here it is. Methuselah. That's one of the names in here, and if it, you kind of, I say that, and I kind of see you have to say it. So go ahead and say it. Methuselah. Methuselah was the oldest man to ever live. The Bible says he lived 969 years. Wow. Okay, so here's the riddle. Methuselah was the oldest man to ever live, but he died before his father. How's that? Okay, so here's the deal. We're going to find out as we get down in the weeds of this. That's the best Bible trivia question I have. If, if that didn't stump you, then I got nothing else. But if it did, pay attention. We might actually answer that. So here's the deal. We're going to get down in the weeds of Genesis chapter 4, verse 25 through all of chapter 5, and we're going to ask the question, what's essential here? What's profitable here? What can we learn from this? And so when you do this, there's a couple ways that you can do this. One is to look at the wide angle, look at the big picture. What, is there a pattern here? Is there something that seems to be like this overarching theme that the writer of this is trying to communicate? I think there is, and we'll get to that at the end. And then after you kind of look at that, then, then you start really looking at specifics. And you have this pattern, you have this, everybody did this kind of thing. And then you start saying, okay, how does it start? 
How does it end? And what's unusual? Is there anything that breaks the pattern? Is there anything significant? Is there, is there a name here? Is there something about this person that breaks the pattern that can maybe teach me? And so when you start looking at that, then you start kind of studying it and then you begin to make observations to pull out truth that applies and is profitable for anything. So I want us to look at this. In Genesis chapter four, and verse 25 is where we'll start. Right before this, Ryan preached last week on Cain and Abel, and then we left off in verse 16, and in 17 through 24, it talks about, it kind of gives us a very brief genealogy of Cain, because Cain kills his brother, he's rebuked by God, and kind of banished, and he goes off on his own, and it says that he had, had a son named Enoch, and he named a city, he built the first city, Cain did, and he named the city after his son Enoch, and then Enoch had a son, and then his son had a son, and he got to the end of his line with a guy named Lamech, and Lamech was a pretty bad guy, and so Lamech murders some people and then brags about it. That's, that's how his, his family tree, the Cain's family tree, begins with a murder and ends with a murder, and not just a murder, but a murder that's kind of put out in front and kind of something that he's bragging about. And then verse 25 we start this new, new thread. It says, and Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth, for she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. That, that name Seth means appointed or granted. And so it's this idea, right, that God is granting another son to carry on, see, carry on the line that Abel has been killed. Cain is wicked and evil now that we know the story. And so who's gonna carry on the line? Well, God gives Adam and Eve another son named Seth and he's gonna carry on the line through him. So he's granted them, he's appointed Seth for that purpose. So move forward to chapter five, verse one. And this is how the genealogy list really begins. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. So that, that language there in verse 1 and 2, it sounds like creation language, right? It's going back to the story of creation and kind of recapping it, that God made man in his image. He named them. Adam and Eve were created by God. And so what, what's happening here, what seems to be happening here is that that God is making it very clear that his line, his redemption is still going to come and it's going to come through this line of Seth. It's going to come through this new line. We, as we were reading along and we saw God promise that to Adam and Eve in, in chapter 3, verse 15, we just assume that it's going to be in Cain or Abel. Well, it can't be either one of them. And so you look at this and you go, okay, what's God's plan? And God's plan is revealed to us. And here's what the language lends itself to, lends us to think, that this was God's plan all along. God doesn't look at this and react like, oh no, what are we going to do now? Abel's dead? That was where I was going to bring hope and redemption to the people. Now what do we do? I have to, I, no, this, the language here is creation language. The language is going back to the beginning. It's saying, hey, God had this plan all along to bring redemption through the seed of Adam and Eve, and it's through Seth that it's gonna happen. And so you look at the language and you look at how this starts and you look at the contrast. It's easy to think this is a contrast between Seth and Cain and Cain's lineage at the end of chapter four 
and Seth lineage knew, but really what it says is this is the book of the generations of Adam, that this is Adam's line. This is Adam's family tree that we're really focused on, and this was God's plan all along. So here's, here's an observation we make by looking at this part of the text. Our sin and failures are no hindrance to God's plan. Our sin, our failures, our disobedience doesn't hinder God's plan at all. When, when God's giving us this new line in Seth, the language he uses makes it look like this was his plan all along. That everything Cain did when he killed Abel, his disobedience, he goes out and starts a whole new civilization. All that has no bearing on God's plan because God had a plan all along. Our sin and our failure are no hindrance to God's plan. That what we believe in the Bible is that God is sovereign. He's in control of everything. That there are no surprises for God. There's nothing that we can do that will set his plan back. His plan is right on schedule. His purposes are going to come true. Everything he says he's going to accomplish, he will accomplish in the perfect time according to his plan. God's going to come through with all that. And our sin, our failures, our shortcomings, our disobedience never hinders that at all. And this is good news today, isn't it? It's good news for every single one of us that all of our failures, God's plan just stays right on schedule. You know where that's really good news for me and it probably is good news for you that are parents? Like in our parenting, that's really, really good news, isn't it? That all your mistakes in parenting, our mistakes in parenting, don't hinder God's plan at all. Parenting's hard. Can we be honest about that? It's hard. Kids are great. Kids are wonderful. They're a blessing from God. I love my kids. It's hard because every one of them's different. I've got to figure this whole thing out. It's, it's a challenging task at the, at the very least, right? On our best days, this is a challenging thing to do, to parent kids and, and point them to God and this responsibility. It's very, very difficult. There's been more times than I can count that Tammy and I will regroup in the, in the bedroom at the end of a long, hard day of parenting and look at each other and one of us will say, yeah, they're going to need counseling for that. There's no doubt. I hope we should teach them how to save their money because at some point they're going to have to invest in a really good counselor because of our parenting and our failures and our mistakes. We do, like, that's just the reality of it. Here's the deal. In our parenting, our sin, our failures, our shortcomings, not even close to a hindrance to God's plan. God's going to accomplish his purposes. He does that in spite of us. He does it through us, which is amazing. But he also does it in spite of us, which is just really honest. And it's good news to remember that our sin and failures are no hindrance. All the Cain's disobedience, no big deal. God had a plan all along. It's right on schedule. So go back into chapter 4 again. Look at verse 26. It says, to Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. That's a really, it's something that's different. It's something that stands out. It's a break in the pattern. What, what does that mean? At, at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Let's set the contrast. Here's Cain and all of his descendants, and they're making weapons, and they're making tools, and they're creating music. And they're, 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 there's a whole line of them that are nomads that have livestock, and there's civilizations, and they're building cities, but it's all evil. It's all wicked. It's all apart from the will of God. It's just their evil is reigning. And then God starts over 
the plan all along. He gives Adam and Eve another son, Seth, and he says, I'm going I'm to fulfill my promise here. I'm going to come through with my promise. My plan has not been hindered at all through Seth. And Seth has a son named Enosh. And at that time, this remnant of people, this group of people begin to call upon the name of the Lord. They begin to worship God. In the context of a cursed world, in the context of evil and pain and suffering, here's this line of people. And they begin to worship God. They begin to call upon the name of the Lord. And you see this in this text and you see this part of the story develop. And here's the observation that I think that we make, that God is the author of new beginnings. That with Seth, there's a new beginning. There's a fresh start. There's there's a do-over. And it's cool because we just said that this was God's plan all along. And, and, and this is one of those things that the Bible does and it, it doesn't have a problem with, and sometimes we struggle with it, but we just need to accept it, that you put that truth right here and you stake it in the ground, say God's plan all along was to bring his line, his redemption through Seth. And then you put it right beside this truth. Seth is a new beginning. It's a start over. They're both true. Because we have a God whose plan is always on schedule, and we have a God who constantly gives us a fresh start, who gives us a new beginning. We can come to him all the time, and he wipes the slate clean, and he lets us start over. He lets us begin again. So God's the author of new beginnings, which, which means for us that it's never too late for a new start. It's never too late for you and I to start over. Maybe you're sitting in here right now, and you've been wandering away. Maybe you've been defeated in your spiritual life. Maybe you've been distracted. Maybe you've pursued other things instead of God. There's all kinds of reasons that we come to here and all kinds of places and all kinds of baggage that we all bring to this room and this time of worship. And and it doesn't matter how far you've run. It doesn't matter how off the path you've wandered. It's never too late with God for a new start. It's absolutely never too late to start again. God offers that all the time. He's the author of new beginnings. Cain killed Abel and goes off and does all this thing. God says, okay, Seth, Enosh, people will begin to worship me. He's going to preserve it. He's going to come through in his promises. God is the author of new beginnings. Now, there's a whole list here that keeps going through all these different names, but I want to skip all the way to the end. We'll come back in a second, but I want to skip to the end. Verse 28 a guy named Lamech comes onto the scene. This is a different Lamech than what we talked about with Cain. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son, and he called his name Noah, saying, there's a break, or something different, out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. So Lamech has a son that you know very well. His name is Noah. And Lamech names him Noah, and the word Noah doesn't mean this, but it's a, the, the name Noah sounds like a Hebrew word that means rest. And so it's kind of a, him naming him something that sounds like rest to make people think that. And he says, out of this son, out of this, out of this Noah, God's going to bring rest for his people. God's going to bring relief for his people. God's going to bring relief from all this pain. Lamech is basically saying, man, this is hard. Life is hard. There's evil everywhere. It's raining. And I'm gonna gonna have a son and I'm gonna gonna put my faith in God. I'm gonna trust God that he's going to bring relief and rest from all this pain and all this curse through this son Noah. And God did that. 
but he, but he did it in a way that I don't think Lamech was thinking about. I mean, God's going to bring some relief to the curse, and he's going to bring some relief, and he's going to wipe out some of the evil and some, in a big, big way in a couple chapters. And Lamech was expecting God to do that, but I bet that's not what he was looking for. And here's the observation I want us to make on that, that God often works in ways we don't expect. It's true, right? God often works in ways we don't expect. We want him to do this, and he doesn't do that. But then later on, we look back for that big picture and we see that he was working over here all along. He was answering that in a completely different way than what we expected. We were hoping he would do this. We were praying that he would do this. We were praying for this kind of thing. And he didn't do what we were expecting or what we were looking for. We wanted him to do, but he did do this over here. God often works in ways that we don't expect him to. We pray and we pray and we pray and we don't feel like we have an answer and we start thinking that Garth Brooks is right, right? That God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. But he's not really right because God always answers prayers. He says yes, no, or not yet. That's what he does. And so sometimes we think God's gonna do this, God's gonna deliver, God's gonna heal, God's gonna bring relief, God's gonna do this this way, I know it's gonna happen this way, and God's answer is no, that's not the way. I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna bring relief, I'm gonna bring healing, but it's not the way you think. Man, you can grab a hold of this truth that God often works in ways we don't expect. It'll set you free. Because here's the deal. We have expectations of God to work and interact in our lives in a certain way. Personally, with our kids, in our church, we have all these expectations, right? And when those expectations aren't met by God, there's a tendency in us to give up on him. Oh, he didn't do what I thought he was going to do. I can't trust him after all. But if you get a hold of this truth, you'll run back into him and say, God, show me how you're working. Show me how you're delivering. Show me how you're answering this in a way that's better for me that I can't see in my temporal circumstances. God often works in ways that we don't expect him to. And don't let, don't let our expectations get in the way of us following God and trusting him. Don't let it. Man, it's so easy to do that. Expect it to be this way. It's not. Press in and see the ways that God is always at work because often he works in ways we don't expect. Now, we've got the beginning, we've got the end. And I'm not going to go through every single one of these names, but I do want you to see this big picture pattern. The verse 6, when Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived after he fathered Enosh 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Seth were 912 years and he died. So if your Bible is broken into paragraphs, I want you to look at the end of every paragraph here. Verse 8, and he died. Verse 11, and he died. Verse 12, and he died. Verse 15, and he died. Verse, eight, verse 20, and he died. So here's the big picture. Here's this theme running throughout it. Death is reigning. Remember what God said to Adam and Eve? You eat of that fruit, you will surely die. The serpent came in and tried to question that. God, you won't die. No, guess what? God was right. Everybody dies. Everybody succumbs. Death is reigning. It, they may be living a lot longer, but man, at the end, and he died. And he died. And he died. And then you get to verse 21. 
When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Remember that name? Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah. So there's another break. There's something different. 300 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Enoch didn't die. That's why Methuselah is the oldest man to ever live, but he died before his father, because his father never died. God just took him. Same as Elijah. One of the two instances that this happens in our Bible, he does not die. And so it seems like the author here, Moses, is telling us death is reigning. Everybody's dying because of sin. Sin has worked its way through all of humanity because of Adam and Eve's sin. Death is now the end result for everyone. And then there's a break because there's this guy named Enoch and he walked with God and he didn't die. God took him. So, man, we take notice of that. We, we drill down. We look at that. We, we make a really, really cool observation from that. And here it is. Death does not have the final word for those who walk with God. Death doesn't get the final say, does not have the final word for those who walk with God. That death is reigning and everybody dies. And then there's this one guy, and here's the difference. He walked with God and God took him and death doesn't win there. So it's God pouring a little hope into the genealogy list. It's God pouring a little hope into humanity. It's God pouring him a little joy and hope into this culture of death and pain and suffering. There's this one guy, he walked with God, he didn't die. So man, what we want to do about that is like, what does that mean? What does it mean to walk with God? We should all be really, really interested on this idea of what it means to walk with God because he walked with God and he didn't have to die. So what does it mean? And so for that, what we do is we go to the New Testament. We go to Hebrews chapter 11. We did this last week with with Abel and talked about his faith. Hebrews chapter 11 is this hall of faith chapter where it just commends the faith of all these saints of old. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 5 talks about Enoch. It says, by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God, walked with God. And then he's, the writer of Hebrews tells us what that is. And without faith, it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So Enoch, his walk with God, what it was, is faith in God. That he, he lived his life by faith. He believed God. He believed that God's reward is coming for those who trust him and walk with him and believe in him. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. So Enoch is committed as having faith and he pleased God and that's why God took him. In the midst of pain and suffering and a culture of evil and death, God took him because of his faith and he pleased God because of that. Hebrews explains that for us in the verses at the beginning of chapter 11. Verses one and two says this. Now faith, here's what it is. It's the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old, the Enochs, the Abels, Abraham, Moses, by, by faith, the people of old received their commendation. Their standing with God was secured by their faith, not by their works. And so Enoch shows us this picture of death not reigning for those who walk with God. And then the Bible tells us that walking with God is walking by faith. It's living a life of faith. It's putting your faith and trust and confidence in what God has accomplished for us and him alone. Those of us that live in the New Testament days, like, we're talking about 
our faith in Jesus Christ and what he did for us on the cross is where we put all of our confidence, all of our trust, everything is dependent upon what Jesus did and not what we did. And we're gonna walk with the Lord by faith. So before Genesis, we spent several months in the book of James. One of the reasons we did that is because we wanted to be a people that understand that faith shows up in our lives. That James says faith without works is dead. It doesn't, it's not really faith. And so when we walk with God, when we trust him with everything, guys, what it'll do is it'll show up in every area of our lives. It'll show up in how we prioritize our time. It'll show up in how we parent. It'll show up in how we engage relationships. It'll show up in how we pursue reconciliation. It'll show up in how we spend our money. It'll show up in how we give our vacation days. It'll show up in how we intentionally get on mission. It'll show up in every area of our life when we have faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. We can't walk with God without faith. So this story of Enoch, this little blip on the radar of Enoch who walked with God by faith and was taken, it teaches us this really cool truth that death does not have the final word for those who walk with God. And that's the way I say it, but there's a better way to say it that's straight out of the Bible. Romans 6, 23, if you don't have this verse memorized, put it down as one that you need to memorize. Here's... Here's the same truth in the New Testament wrapped in the gospel. For the wages of sin is death. Death was raining. Death death still thinks it's raining. The wages of sin is death. That's what we have coming to us for our sin. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus and him alone and what he accomplished on the cross for us, Death doesn't get the final word for you. Death doesn't have the final say-so anymore. Jesus conquered death. He defeated the grave. So now for those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus, who are trusting in Jesus, guess what? Death doesn't have a victory and death doesn't have a sting anymore. Death doesn't get the final word for those of us that walk by faith, who put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Let's be those people. Let's be the people that embrace that. The wages of sin is death, but God has a better plan in mind for us. The the gift, the free gift of God is eternal life. Let's pray. God, thank you for your love. Thank you for your word that is always profitable for us. It's always useful. God, that you, you speak through your word. This is a living and active word. Like you speak through this to accomplish your purposes in our lives. And so God, I pray, I pray today that we will be not just hearers of the word, but like James says, we will be doers of the word. We'll put this into practice. We'll respond with obedience. And we'll worship you in response to that today. For your glory, God, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.